Today's Old Testament lesson comes to us from the book of Psalms. And this is a responsive reading, so I invite you to read along with the bold portions of the psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. Let Israel say, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, who has given us light, bind the fifth procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. And give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. This ends our first reading. So as you all know, Palm Sunday kicks off Holy Week for Protestants and Catholics around the world. This is a week when the Lord of life will face death. A week when he will cleanse the temple of money changers and praise a widow for putting all that she has into the offering box. A week when he will teach about authority that comes from God. During this week, he will break bread and offer the cup of forgiveness. And he will do so even knowing that one friend at the table will betray him and another will deny he ever knew him. This week, our Messiah will be arrested, tried, beaten, convicted, and sentenced to death as a common criminal. But before all of that takes place, his followers will celebrate with shouts of joy as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Before any of that happens, the crowds gather exuberant in their excitement for the expected king of the Jews. So today, let us listen for God's word for us as we read together from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to skip over a lot and pick up at the end, 20, chapter 27, verses 27 through 37. Again, this is a responsive reading, so we invite you to participate by reading the bolded portions as we go along. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, 
and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this. The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughters of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna in the highest heaven. I lost my palm frond. Thank you. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And then, near the end of this week, we pick up in chapter 27, verses 27 through 37. A lot has happened between this entrance and where we are now. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. They spat on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him. They led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. This is the word of the Lord. So when I was in high school, I was involved in a theater program. I was very shy at the point, so I did all the backstage stuff. The theater program was in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. So this meant that I was downtown at least two times a week to attend master classes. And when I was working on a show, which was almost every show, 
I was downtown every day for rehearsals and then performances. Having grown up there and my experience in that theater world, I was generally pretty immune to all of the tourist traffic and all of the congestion that happens in Charleston. It was just a fact of life for us from April through October. You just dealt with it. The worst times, though, were when any movie or television was in town filming, especially when they were filming downtown. In those occasions, the streets were even more packed with looky-loos who were trying to spot the stars and stalk them to wherever they were going. And this was before social media, so you really, like, they just found out where people were and camped out. One day, when I was in high school, it was particularly bad. Bruce Willis, turned out, was in town to film one of his movies, and the women of Charleston were very excited that he was there. The streets were already packed. It was high tourist season, and so the tourists were everywhere. But on this day, it was a mob scene, just eye-to-eye Charlestonian women everywhere you could see. I had just left the theater for our lunch break. I could not make it to my car. So there on the street that day, I had no idea who was in town or who was in the center of this crowd, but the excitement in the air was electric. And before I knew it, I was asking, what's going on? Who is it? Who's here? Can I see? I couldn't believe myself what happened to me. I think we've all experienced something like that before, maybe. Am I crazy? Well, I'm crazy, but... Anyway, I imagine that living in Jerusalem, that Passover season so long ago, that all of the Jews of that time can relate to what it was like that day in Charleston with Bruce Willis on the loose. You see, living in Jerusalem had its perks, It was prestige. It was amazing. It was the center of the world for the Hebrew people. But being there on Passover, I just believe, kind of had to have been kind of a pain. The whole nation basically flooded the holy city in order to celebrate the high holy days in the synagogue. On top of that, When all of these Jews were gathered for these high holy days, the Roman Empire, which controlled Jerusalem and all of Israel at this time, would flood the city with soldiers to remind those who were celebrating the liberating power of God that the Romans, that the Romans, not God, controlled Jerusalem. So Jesus entered a city packed with good, faithful Jews trying to celebrate Passover. And Jesus entered a city flooded with Roman soldiers, packed to the gills with people, with conflict, with tension at every turn. In Matthew's Gospel, we are told that when Jesus entered Jerusalem on that day, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? 
But really, turmoil is a pretty weak translation of the Greek verb, seio, which refers to the action of an earthquake. So Jesus entered the city, and the city was quaking with the energy. The crowd that was gathered to see Jesus were shaking with expectation, looking for this promised king of the Jews who they believed was going to liberate the people from occupation by Rome. They were shaking their physical surroundings as they snapped branches off of trees and spread their cloaks on the ground before Jesus as he moved on his donkey. They were shaking the emotional underpinnings of the holy city with their cries of, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna! And thank you. And now, for your elbow's sake, I suspend the Hosanna rule for the rest of the sermon. They were shaking the emotional underpinnings as they exclaimed this word of praise that literally means, save us, we pray. Hosanna, save us, save us, save us. Hosanna, save us, they shouted to Jesus in the face of governors and political leaders who had previously entered the city atop their own war horses in their huge caravans. Hosanna, save us, they shouted to Jesus in the face of Roman soldiers who preserved their control by threat and violence and death. Hosanna, save us, they shouted to Jesus in the face of Jewish political leaders who preserved their power by taxing more than was necessary, even as they ignored the needs of the poor. Hosanna, save us, they shouted to Jesus in the face of religious leaders who preserved their power by stringently enforcing purity rules as a way of forcing some out of the synagogue. Those purity rules that ensured that those who most needed to experience the love and forgiveness and grace of God had no access. Hosanna, save us, they shouted, not to the mighty and powerful of their time, but to a gentle man on a donkey whose humble entrance disrupts everyone's expectations for how kings move in the world. Hosanna, save us, they cried. So if you read today's lesson from the Gospel of Matthew with a very literal eye, I think you, like I, would have this image of this gentle Jesus trying to straddle two beasts of burden, like some circus act. He sends them out, the disciples, to get a calf and a donkey. It's the way the text reads, right? Did y'all hear it? 
Did you find yourself asking, well, what was he riding? I don't really understand what this looks like. Like, is he on top of both of them, like skis? Like, how is this happening? So remember, I said back in Advent in January that Matthew is the most Jewish author of the Gospels. He goes out of his way to make connections to the writings of the Hebrew people. So in his description of this entrance, he's hearkening back to the prophet Zechariah, who used very poetic language to explain how the king of the Jews, how the Messiah would enter in and be greeted by the people. That poetic language referenced multiple animals as just a literary image, but Matthew interpreted it very literally here. I personally don't think that he was kind of straddling two beasts of burden, but we get the idea. Instead of Jesus entering atop huge camels or elephants or other war horses, this king of the Jews, this our Messiah, enters Jerusalem on an everyday, hairy, stinky beast who works farms, who tends the earth, who does the work of the people. The other part of this passage explicitly ties back to Psalm 118 that we read this morning. The promise that God's steadfast love endures forever. And so the people are fawning, fanning, creating a pathway for the Messiah of the Lord so that the Messiah may enter and be ushered into God's people once again. This Jesus, Matthew was saying, is the promised Prince of Peace. This Jesus humbly comes on the back of animals of peace, demonstrating that God's steadfast love endures forever. To this man, riding a borrowed donkey, these crowds shouted, Hosanna, save us. Save us from the corruption. Save us from war. Save us from division. Save us from starvation. Save us. Save us, O God, because only you can. Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us, because only you can. These people aren't going to do it. Hosanna. Save us, they cried. As we read this story today, I trust that this gentle Jesus comes riding through the gates of our hearts just as he comes riding through the gates of Jerusalem. And as he does, he comes into equally tense times in our world. Hosanna, we've been saying all morning. Hosanna, We've been singing it all morning. Hosanna, our elbows feel it. We've been waving our palm fronds, crying out for Jesus to save us. 
as Jesus travels the long walk of our hearts this week, what powers will he confront? What principalities does he need to drive out of the temple so that we are ready to experience the goodness that comes through all of the pain? Who will he run out of the temple? I can create for you a long, long list of the things that I would cry out, Hosanna, this day. Hosanna, save us from a gun culture that is out of control. Hosanna, save us from trans and homophobia. Hosanna, save us from racism, classism, poverty, and greed. Hosanna, save us from our fear and anxiety. Hosanna, save us. The list can go on and on and on. But I wonder, instead of layering my list on all of you, as we begin this Holy Week with our feet firmly planted on the cloak covered Palm Sunday procession. Do we have the courage? Do we have the conviction to cry out, Hosanna, save us? Do we trust this gentle Jesus to set the prisoners free? In knowing how Jesus was reviled and eventually killed, do we trust this gentle Jesus on his honestly pathetic donkey enough to walk with him through the crowded city streets of our lives and shout, Hosanna, save us in the faces of the powers and principalities that dictate our lives, that influence our opinions? Do we have the courage like those on the street that day, to shout and acknowledge that we need to be saved. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us, I pray. Amen.